Hi, and welcome to Murder Mystery Podcast. I'm your host, Summer. Lisa won't be here with us right now. She's taking a hiatus trying to get everything done for her homeschool with her kids and get everything settled. So you're with me right now, but we're still going to have fun. So I really hope that you had a wonderful Labor Day weekend, a safe weekend. I spent most of my time working on this story that I'm going to bring you. I think it's really wonderful. Although I did have a very interesting adventure yesterday when a woman from the Census Bureau came to my door. We did our census online way, way back in like April. And since then, I've had several people come to the door and want to ask us questions We've told them numerous times we already did it, but we keep having to answer these same questions over and over. And so yesterday when this woman came to the door, of course my dogs go crazy and I slip out onto the front porch and I answer her questions and she leaves. And when I turn around, I find that I am locked out of the house because our dog, Peter, jumped up on the front door, hit the lock, and has locked me out of the house with no shoes, no phone, and no key. My older daughter, Clarissa, was in the house, but she was upstairs, and I couldn't get her attention, so I was locked out of the house for an hour, sitting on the porch, waiting for her to come downstairs, knocking every once in a while, trying to get the dogs to go upstairs and get her, or to unlock the door, which they didn't, they don't obey very well. And yeah, so it was kind of fun. And that's part of the reason that you are getting the Labor Day story a day late because I spent an hour on the porch and then had errands to run. So (laughs) I'm bringing you this very odd story a day late, but it is pretty interesting. So I am excited to bring this to you. Our story for today, it has mystery. It has intrigue. It has possible murder. Possible not. I'll let you guys decide on that. But our holiday special for our Daylight Labor Day is the story of Henry McCabe. So Henry McCabe was a 32-year-old Liberian immigrant He had fled the war-torn country after living there most of his life. So he came to the United States in the early 2000s and he met Corrine and he married her. He had been married for 11 years in 2015. He had two little girls. They were fairly little at this time. And he was living in Moundsview, Minnesota, where he worked as an auditor for the state of Minnesota Department of Revenues. They had a house. They had a normal family. His friends came up and reported after all this happened that he may have been depressed. He may have gotten bad reviews at work, even though, you know, at work they said that he was great at his job, that he was sorely missed, 
that he was just a great guy. There were people that said that he was possibly behind on his rent, that he was having a rough patch in his marriage. So basically, he sounds like a pretty typical family man living in small town America. I mean, who hasn't had troubles in their life? Who hasn't gone through a rough patch in their relationship or, you know, didn't have some problems in their job at one time or another or had financial problems? I mean, I'm raising my hand right now. You guys can't see it, but I am. How many of you are raising your hand too? I'm, if you're driving, please don't raise both of your hands. At least keep one on the steering wheel, but... Yeah, I mean, this guy sounds like a pretty typical small-town family man to me. Labor Day weekend 2015, he was alone in Mounds View. His wife took the kids and went to California to visit friends. And so he decided to have a boys' night and go clubbing with a couple of friends. I mean, while the cat's away, the mice will play, right? He went to Polinsky's nightclub in Spring Lake, park with William Kennedy and Calvin Johnson. And these were two so-called friends and you will see why I call them so-called friends in just a few minutes. So they partied it up through the night and Henry was really enjoying his alcohol. I mean really liking the alcohol. Um you know, I saw a lot of comments on different articles about him going out and, you know, him having a wingman and, you know, being out clubbing without his wife. But I looked up this place and it really looked like more of a sports bar than a club. If anybody knows this place, please correct me if I'm wrong. But it advertised a wraparound bar with numerous screens and different sports. It looked like it had tables with different screens all around so that you could watch different sports. It advertised reasonably priced food, country music, Texas Hold'em. It had pool tables. This wasn't a dance club. It wasn't a place that you went to try and meet, you know, hot young chicks and hook up. It seemed more like, you know, a place that you would go to spend an evening, especially a boys' night, you know, go and shoot some pool, you know, play some cards, watch sports, do some betting, hang out at the bar. And it, nowhere in any of the articles that I read and I read a lot of them and there wasn't anywhere in any of them that it mentioned them meeting up with any type of girls at all. There were no women involved in this. So it sounded like a typical boys night. You know they may have had some food, they had some drinks and at one point it seemed like Henry was having way too much to drink. And toward the end of the night, Calvin, um, one of the so-called friends, said that he took Henry's wallet from him because he was drinking way too much and he just didn't need any more alcohol. Okay, so I understand that. And so William, the other friend, uh, took away Henry's keys because he didn't need to be driving home. And so these seem like two pretty 
concerned friends. I mean, they're worried about their pal who's been drinking too much. They don't want him to buy any more. They don't want him to get in his car and drive home because he's had way too much. And so being the good friends that they were, they decided they were going to take care of him. And so at 1.40, Calvin reported that Henry left with William. This was the last time Calvin saw Henry. He was getting into William's car and William had said he was planning to take Henry home. And that was all Calvin claimed to know, that William was taking Henry home. And that was the end with Calvin. At least that was what he said. Now, mind you, Calvin still had Henry's wallet. So, William reports that he and Henry left the club and Henry asked him to drop him at Super America's gas station. This is in Freedley, Minnesota. It was about 2 o'clock in the morning. And this station is only about three and a half miles from Moundsview by road. And I have no idea where Henry lives in Moundsview. So depending on where he lived, it could have been just a couple of miles from his house. So it might not have been too bad of a walk. However, it's two o'clock in the morning and he's very drunk and it's dark. And as you know, landmarks look different in the dark and they might look really different when you're drunk. But he wanted to be dropped off at the station, so William said that he dropped him off at the station at 2 o'clock in the morning, and that's where he left Henry. He says that's the last time he's seen him, and he left. He says he doesn't know what happened to Henry after that. So, great friends, right? They can't even drive this poor drunk friend home. This friend that they were so worried about, they had to take his wallet and his keys and couldn't let him get in a car and drive home. They take him to a gas station a couple miles from his home in the opposite direction of his home, not even toward his home, but kind of away from his home and drop him off. No keys, no wallet, no money, No way to get into his house when he gets home and drops him off at two in the morning and just leaves. So this, this is kind of weird, right? Well, hold on to your hats because it's about to get a whole lot weirder. Because you see, when William left him at that gas station, he says that he doesn't know what else happened. But we know that at about 2.28 in the morning, so about 28 minutes after William left, Henry made a phone call to Corrine, his wife. And in this phone call, it's about two minutes of noises like growls and moans of pain. And at some point during this phone call, he does say that he's been shot and near the end of the phone call uh it the noises just stop and a voice says stop it and then the call disconnects this was left on a voicemail i have no idea when kareen actually heard this message it had to have scared her to death when she actually heard it I know it would scare me literally to death to hear something like that from my husband but she was 
obviously asleep, I would think, when this voicemail came in. Let's see if we can get at least a little bit of this for you to hear. This is from a YouTube channel called Fact Faction. It is from Five Mysterious Unsolved Cases number five. And Henry's is featured at the end of this one. If I get my speaker up really close, let's see if we can actually hear this. So that played through twice, just the little bit that they had on there. I couldn't find anywhere that had the full audio and this was actually the best one. So way to go, Fact Faction. I would highly recommend that you listen to this YouTube channel because it was really interesting. They had the clearest part on that everywhere else you could hear the newscaster talking over those sounds and so you couldn't hear the actual sounds be being made and so that was I thought that one was a really good one so I'm hoping you can somewhat hear what that sounded like but unfortunately we don't get the part where you can hear the voice and so we couldn't compare it to any of his videos that were online on Facebook with him speaking and stuff to see if it was his voice or anything like that. Anyway, when Corrine heard this, obviously her first thing was to call him and see if he was okay, but the phone was shut off and went straight to his voicemail. And so she called the police, told them what had happened, told them about the voicemail, and so they did a welfare check, and he wasn't home. After going back and forth about what had happened and what she knew, they listed him as a missing person, and that's when the search for Henry McCabe started. So, obviously, the first thing that they did was talk to the guys that he was out with, and then they started searching those places that he was supposed to have been at. So they looked at the Super America gas station looking for footage of that time when he was supposedly dropped off by William. For a lot of reasons, I'm sure, for one thing to see, you know, what what seemed to be going on between him and William. Did somebody else pull up after William had dropped him off? You know, had something happened to him at the gas station? Did he leave with somebody? Was he meeting somebody? Why would he want to be left there? Why did he not just go home? But when they got the footage, they found that there was nothing in that time period showing that William had dropped Henry off. There was no footage of that. And so they go back to William and they question him about this. And they're saying, you know, we have no evidence that you dropped him off there. And that's when William tells him, well, I got mixed up. 
it wasn't actually that station that I dropped him off at. You see, he asked me to drop him off at the Super America station in Freedly, but I got mixed up and I actually dropped him off at the Holiday Station. This one was in the opposite direction of the Super America Station that Henry had asked to be dropped off at. This Holiday Station was actually a few miles closer to his home. So <laughs> Henry is drunk. It's two o'clock in the morning. He thinks he's being dropped off at one gas station and he's being dropped off at another gas station in the opposite direction, closer to home, meaning that he would have to walk a different direction to get home. And I mean, it's just, it's a whole new set of problems there. You know, this poor guy had to be completely turned around and mixed up. But when the police did go and check the security cameras, they do see William dropping Henry off at the holiday station at 2 a.m., just like he said he did. They don't see anybody else picking him up, anybody talking to him, even anybody around. They see him walk off out of the camera range, and that's the last time anybody sees Henry. The phone call was made to his wife 28 minutes later. This call pinged off a tower near Creekview Park in New Brighton. And then after this, his phone shut off and there was no way to track it. His phone was either turned off or it died. And so it was not giving off any signal. Corrine left her children with family in California and rushed home to find out what was going on with her husband and to help with the search. Police and volunteers started searching the area and the Liberian community were also helping. He was really big in the Liberian community. He was a big advocate for um, Liberians, he, him being a Liberian immigrant and, you know, helping others come over from this war-torn country helping others escape violence, helping others in his community to be settled and just to make, try and make a difference in that community. So he was a big advocate for them. And so they were out and they were helping the family to try and search for him. And everybody was out looking for him, but nobody could find a trace of him. You know, it was like he just walked away from that station and made that call and disappeared. Two months later, on November 2nd, 2015, Henry's body was discovered in Rush Lake in New Brighton by a kayaker. This lake is four miles east of the Holiday Gas Station where he was dropped off that night. There were no gunshot wounds on his body. There were no other types of wounds on his body that was evident. Now, it was said that he had been in the lake for a while. They could tell, you know, he had been there for a while. So, I don't know exactly what that meant because the autopsy also said that there was no markings on his body, that there was no evidence of foul play of defensive wounds 
of anything like that. And usually when I've read about bodies that had been left in bodies of water for long periods of time, the decomp and, you know, fish and other animals and stuff just, it makes it hard to tell that. And that's not what they were saying in this situation. Anyway, they said that there were no markings. There were no signs of defensive wounds, no signs of a gunshot wound, and that it did look like he had drowned. And that was the official cause of death. But they could not tell if this was an accidental drowning, if this was a suicide, or if this was a murder. They didn't have any evidence to show one way or another. In fact, they would have ruled this either an accident or suicide if it weren't for that bizarre voicemail that was left on his wife's phone. It would have been pretty much just, you know, we can't determine which, but foul play would have been ruled out if it hadn't been for that. So, let's give a quick breakdown of what facts we have here. Henry leaves the club about 1.40 with William. And Calvin still has his wallet. He leaves them and heads, I guess, back to his house or wherever he's going and still has Henry's wallet. William leaves with Henry and is going to take him home. At some point in the vehicle, Henry tells William that he wants to go to Super America Gas Station in Friedley. And being the very concerned friend that William is, the friend that, you know, earlier took his keys because he didn't want him to drive anywhere and is taking him home to make sure that he safely arrives at home and everything, agrees to drop him off at a gas station that's several miles from his house. But you know, being the friend that has also been out drinking all night and probably also impaired, he gets mixed up and drops him off at the wrong gas station, drops him off at a holiday station, which coincidentally is actually closer to his house, but is in a completely different direction than the one that Henry asked to be dropped off at. And it's almost like this college hazing prank by two grown men in which they take their very very drunk friend out to some random location in the dark lie to him about where he is and then just want to tell him find your way home and then want to see if he can actually do it you know they make lifetime movies about this And I'm surprised they actually haven't made a Lifetime movie about this man. Maybe they have, and I just haven't seen it. But this, this is just unbelievable that grown men would agree to this. Because this is not being a caring and well-meaning friend. So we know that at 2 o'clock he drops... Henry off at the holiday station. He leaves and Henry walks off from the gas station and at 2.28 Henry calls his wife and leaves 
a strange voicemail that is really crazy. And that call pings off of a tower that is three and a half to four miles away from that gas station in Creekview Park in New Brighton, which is in that same park area where Rush Lake is. It's a few miles from where that lake is, where his body is found two months later. So Rush Lake is about four miles from Holiday Station. Walking's not out of the question, so that is possible. Rush Lake is surrounded by dense vegetation. There are only specific entrances to get into the lake. The rest of the lake is really difficult to get to because of that dense vegetation that surrounds it. Henry does know how to swim. His family did confirm that he does know how to swim. And so even in his drunken state, if he had wandered into the water, he would be able to swim. So let's look at some theories. Now that we've kind of counted down, you know, we have the, the facts that we were able to get from what little bit we've got. It is kind of frustrating that there isn't any updates. I went through all of this and there really isn't any updates at all on any of this. There isn't any new information. It's still an open case. Um, The last information posted on his Facebook page that his family had made for him was in 2016 and there just really isn't anything that has been found. So one theory that I read was that he was a victim of the smiley face killer. Now I haven't covered the smiley face killer yet. Uh, That is one that I definitely am looking forward to covering but I have to read a lot more about the smiley face killer because um, there's a lot that I don't know about this one but I do know that the smiley case face killer did kill mostly college-age men uh, by waterboarding them and then dumping them in bodies of water and then would spray paint a smiley face or draw a smiley face near where the body was dumped so let's look at the plausibility of this theory the sound in the message to the wife does sound a little bit like gurgling from a drowning man but there's no splashing like he was in uh, water like he was actually in the lake and drowning at the time but it did sound like the possibility that there was water in his mouth like maybe somebody was pouring water in his mouth So this could occur if, you know, maybe his phone was in his back pocket and he pocket dialed his wife and it was recording this as, you know, they were doing this torture. If the call had been made while he was drowning, I wouldn't have thought that he would have been able to make it in the water. He wouldn't have been able to get to the lake in 28 minutes by walking and he would have had to have help to get there. How would he have gotten through the vegetation? It's very dense vegetation. He's drunk. It's dark. 
if he's as drunk as his friend said, um, I would think most drunk guys would have just given up, you know, just passed out. They wouldn't have kept pushing through and pushing through this dense vegetation trying to get into this lake. Also, if he's drowning and he's holding a phone above water trying to make this phone call while he's drowning, that, that seems a little bit difficult. So some of those things kind of make this theory not quite plausible. Also that the victims of the smiley face killer, it's usually been younger men. There have not been any evidence of these murders in this area or even of these murders in quite a while. And there was no evidence found of a smiley face around the lake. I could not find anything that said there was a smiley face found anywhere around the lake. So I don't think that one is really a plausible theory. I don't think it was a smiley face killer that killed Henry McCabe. The Librarian Civil War. So Henry moved to America to escape violence in Liberia. He was heavily involved in his local Liberian community. He worked for the local state government as an auditor, which put him in a, in a place to be able to access some information, although I'm not sure how much information he had access to or how important that information would be. There is the fact that the FBI became involved in this case and remained involved in this case even after his body was found and it was ruled a drowning. For some reason, they continued to be involved in the case. Henry's mom, even though she lived in Liberia, she was very certain that the Liberian government had something to do with his murder and she was very vocal about that. So th I think that that could really be a plausible, a plausible theory that if he knew something or if he was being used for something, then it's plausible that he had been killed because of that. Another theory is that William and Calvin killed him or just William, or just Calvin. Why this is plausible, they were the last ones to see him alive. They had his keys and his wallet. He was left at a convenience store at two o'clock in the morning. He was caught on camera being left, but when he walked off, he could have been picked up by one or both of them. Nobody saw him after he walked off from that store. He could have been drowned somewhere else and then dumped in the lake. William gave two different stories as to where he left Henry. There really isn't anybody to corroborate their stories outside of they were at Polinsky's club. They left the way that they said that they left, and William dropped Henry off at that gas station. Outside of that, there's nothing to account for them. There's nobody to collaborate their alibi. So they could have met up afterwards. Calvin could have picked up Henry after William dropped him off. So many things could have happened. We don't know problems with this theory is that 
according to the autopsy, Henry didn't have any defensive wounds on his body. However, he could have been drugged before they drowned him. We don't have a motive. Nobody ever came up with a motive for this. So, nobody knows. A wild animal attack. There were growls or something that sounded like growls on the audio. On all of the articles, it said that a male voice was heard at the end of the audio saying stop it. But it doesn't say that it was necessarily Henry's voice. And I never was able to get the full audio, so I can't make that judgment for myself. But we do know that our voices can sound different under duress. However, again, there's no marks on the body that shows that he was involved in an animal attack. Could an attack have caused him to become so scared that he ran into the lake and drowned? That definitely is plausible. If he had started walking and got lost and came across an animal that scared him and felt that he was being chased by this animal, made that call, those sounds were being heard, and then got chased into the lake or felt like he was being chased and went into the lake. So did this call happen at some point along the way to the lake and then he ran in in a blind panic? without actually being attacked. That's definitely possible. Possible. A Bigfoot attack. This one I read several different times uh, because they said that the sounds sounded similar to what people think a Bigfoot would sound like. However, I did a Google map of the area and looked at the satellite view. And really, in my opinion, the area is just too populated. There doesn't seem to be enough tree cover and enough uh, solitude for a Bigfoot to hide. An attack by a stranger. Um, This is definitely possible. He was walking at 2 a.m. by himself. However, again, we're back to no defensive wounds. At the same time, again, he was out drinking. He was drunk. Maybe he walked off from the gas station and passed out somewhere. And, you know, this whole whole thing is just so strange. Who knows? There was some that believed that his wife was involved. They believed that his wife wasn't actually in California. And that she was involved with this death. And was actually working with William and Calvin. And... Some of the evidence that was brought up with this was that she was holding back evidence that hindered the investigation. Although I saw this one on a more of a conspiracy type website and in some of the more conspiracy type articles. And they never actually said what it was that she was holding back. Just kept saying that she was holding back information. There was something that said that she was holding back um, information on his whereabouts. And that she had a tracker app on his phone. But even if she had a tracker app on his phone. I know that nowadays it's really common. That almost all phones have that. Have those types of tracker apps. And have those ways that you can do like the family trackers and stuff but the police were using 
the trackers on his phone and they were legally tracking trying to track his phone and the phone was shut off with the phone shut off the police weren't able to track it and a tracker app wouldn't be able to track it either so there's really nothing that something like that would have been able to do so there's no way that she was withholding evidence that the police couldn't have gotten themselves off of something like that she could have been involved and she could have been working with his friends and that is definitely a possibility that she set this up that this was a murder for hire things like that happen all the time so I'm not going to rule that out as a possibility there's a theory that this was a supernatural attack uh, some say that the growls are unearthly and therefore could be supernatural that he was being attacked by a demon or a hell beast and that this threw him in the lake and caused him to drown or chased him into the lake and that's what caused him to drown this could leave no marks um this i guess could be plausible or that it was all a hallucination caused by drugs that someone slipped him in his drink i mean and that could be possible that he had something slipped into his drink and he thought he was being chased by something the whole voicemail was him and that it wasn't anybody else that he wasn't you know there wasn't anything growling that it was him growling that this was all just a hallucination that in his panicked state he ran into the lake and ended up drowning himself it could have been alcohol poisoning there wasn't anything mentioning if he was taking any medication and it could have been alcohol mixed with the medication that he was taking it could have been that somebody put something in his drink it could have been anything so what are your theories what do you think happened to henry mccabe i would love to hear you can email those to me at murderandmysterycast at gmail.com or go on our Facebook page and let us know. That's at Murder and Mystery on Facebook. And also, if you have ideas for a story or if you have a personal story, either true crime or some type of mystery, any type of mystery, supernatural, we really would love to have some ghost, some personal ghost stories to tell. But any type of mysterious story that you would like to share, please send those to us at murderandmysterycast at gmail.com because we would love to hear from you. Until next time, say bye.